This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Melanie, the girl who read over 50 nerdy soft porn books this year just for fun. And that's Miranda, who was once run over by a parade float. Okay, okay, I was, I was, I was 10. Thank you for bringing that up. And I don't think porn is really accurate. I said soft porn. Even with the soft (laughs) disclaimer, I'm really not sure it's accurate. Well, it's not really erotica romance, so I don't know. It's kind of a gray area. We'll get to that at another time. We'll get to that. It's kind of a Fifty Shades of Gray area. We'll get to that. Oh my gosh, Melanie. So yesterday was Fisher's last day at his uh, after school program that we've been taking him to since the summer and we absolutely love. Because it's um, closing, right? It's closing. She literally told us two weeks ago, I'm closing. Literally, we had two weeks notice to make other childcare arrangements. So Brad and I have been scrambling for like the last two weeks trying to figure out what we are going to do with our child every single day after school and like maybe question mark what he's going to do this summer. I haven't even gotten that far in my brain. I I have to tell you because we had like the most hilarious conversation because we were we were down to two places um, that that were like available childcare options kind of in our neighborhood that would still kind of sort of be on our route home, you know, because like the last thing you want to do after a long day of work is like drive for 25 minutes in the other direction. A hundred percent, especially where y'all stay. Traffic is a nightmare anyway. It's the worst. It's the worst around here. So and there's interstate driving and there's back road country driving. So it's just let's find something that's easy. So, so we're down to these two options, right? And um, one of them is the gym. Okay. The very respectable YMCA, which we love. We're already members there. That seems like that should be legit. Sounds great. Right. And um, it's like $5 cheaper than what we were paying for the private after-school care. So, so that was cool. So I'm like, okay, we could save a little bit of money. And then I'm even thinking like, well, well shit, like I could get off work go to the gym that's exactly you know? what i would be thinking i can right? like work out i could get a workout in and like fisher wouldn't even know no and then like i could pick him up and we could head on home and like ready to spend some time together because what we do right now when i go to the gym is i pick him up from the after school we drive all the way to the house i have to change my clothes you know i get him a little snack and then we head back out to the gym better you this- than me i would never make it to the gym it's the worst, but if also I get the gym home, is like I'm, a mile I'm, from our house. I'm home. 
<laughs> when I'm home, I'm home. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I feel real, that. Though. I feel that. But then I'm also like, I'm paying a hundred dollars a month membership to the, to the Y, you know, I need to, why not use it? But, but the, the kicker is they have childcare, like for people who just go and work out, but it doesn't start until 530. That's terrible. Like, That's a right, terrible It's like plan. the worst time. It's the worst time. So I'm like, I could go to the gym. He would still be in after school care because it's open until right. six. Perfect. Right? That Perfect. gives you enough time to work out and get him just from there. Right. And then, and then bring him home. So, so it's absolutely perfect. So I'm like, this is what we're going to do. But then <laughs> my husband began to advocate for the second childcare option, which is a karate place. Okay. Now it's a little bit more expensive, but uh-huh. they obviously have like karate instruction programs. And we've been talking about how great it would be to get Fisher involved in something that's more extracurricular, you know, where he could begin to learn, you know, maybe some discipline and, um, I you know, some, some teamwork and all and of this I, cool stuff. I feel like you're on board with that, but I sense an ulterior motive. You're really good at sensing ulterior <laughs> motives because there is definitely an ulterior motive here because I'm like, Brad, why are you like such a fan of karate all of a sudden? Right. Well, then I look up the, I look up the location of the karate place and it's in the same plaza as the beer garden that he goes to on a regular there basis. There it is. There it is. <laughs> How convenient. Well, but I mean, so, it's very interesting <laughs> that you have like a super, a, a super healthy option right, and then right. a not so healthy option. <laughs> and, and, uh, option that's healthy and like maybe a little bit cheaper and then an option that's more expensive that would even be more expensive because you know my husband is going to be like oh well why i'm here let I me just run well. and grab a beer you know yeah. or, or four so yeah i i think we're gonna go with the why um they've got a spot but you know we've got to get through like school break and everything and then when we get back from school break like should be able to start there um so transition so much fun but anyway what's what's new with you how was the party that you went to last night it was the christmas party the food was delicious yeah i got to eat with adults my child wasn't even there Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. which is a rarity for me so um it was it was really nice they had um it's one of those italian places where Mm -hmm. Every single meal comes with bruschetta, soup, salad, oh, um, wow. rolls, and oh, then they gosh. bring your entree. Fresh but I was there with stuff. a bunch of people that have never been there before. Oh, and okay. Jeremy and I have gone to that restaurant for years. Um, yeah, you know, not not often, but you know, over the years we've been there a bunch of times. Yeah, and I kept warning everybody. I'm like, listen. They're going to bring you so much food by the time your entree comes. What you really need to do is order what's going to be best warmed up tomorrow. But nobody would listen. Nobody, they were like, oh, hmm. They're just like, oh, well, you don't eat much because, you know, people think I don't eat much. And I'm like, okay. And then, sure enough, <laughs> uh, they're they're all like they eat two bites of their entree and they're like, "Well, I need a box." Exactly. Oh my! The young goodness. girl that I was sitting next to, she's one of the interns. She's like, "It looks like I didn't eat any of this." I'm like, <laughs> I warned y'all. I, I told you, you're gonna be full. Oh my gosh! Um, but it it was really good. I got the spaghetti and meatballs, which everybody's kind of looking at me like. 
I don't know. I felt like I kind of got looks like that was a lame thing to order at an Italian restaurant. But that's going to warm up so good for dinner tonight. Exactly. Well, they serve it with two meatballs. And these meatballs are like two almost meatballs. the size of your fist. Like, they're big. <laughs> and I'm like, if they would have just brought me like one of oh, those that balls me. and some pasta, I would have been good. Like, you wow. know, because that's what I ended yeah. up eating. Well, actually, I didn't sure. even eat all of it. I let some people taste the one ball. <laughs> the one ball. I shared. I'm like, the well, I'm taking one balls. home, but I'll share this with you. So Wowzers. then we um, we were kind of, there were two tables because there were, I think, 15 people all together that were there. Oh, wow. And there were like these two big long tables. I was stuck in the very back corner. Mm-hmm. You're going to appreciate this. No, okay. you're going to hate this, but okay. okay. So I'm back with, I would call it like the younger crowd of the party. We're like kind of the wild table. Like everybody at our party <laughs> is wild drinking childs. alcohol. Yes. The other yes. part, the other table, I'm not so sure. But okay. so we're in kind of this corner. Like I'm literally the smashed up against the dividing wall. Gotcha. And which is fine. I volunteered to get back there because I, I didn't <laughs> want. She doesn't eat a lot. Stick her by the dividing <laughs> wall. She's skinny. Just put her over there in the right. corner. Well, this restaurant is in the part of downtown that has been there for a very long time. Yes. We'll put it that way. And this yes. building is older. Old. Yes, indeed. So um, I'm in kind of the dark corner. <laughs> oh, no. And this is a clean restaurant. Uh-huh. But you know what You're restaurants the, tend to get. Yes, and this is the dark corner of a very old building in the very <laughs> right? back. So yes. we're mid-eating, oh my and gosh. all of a sudden... Oh, no. There's a I don't definite like... cockroach. No! It's definitely I knew it was going to be a cockroach! Not a palmetto no. bug, not a giant big boy, Ugh. but like a like legitimate a, like a little... roach. Like, you oh, remember no. when Jared and I were living oh, in that condo and we shared no. the wall with hoarders? Oh, yeah. Those yeah. kind oh, of roaches. that was so nasty. Oh, my gosh. So I oh, just go, no. I look this at everybody that's bad. sitting near us and I go, oh, do well. not react. <laughs> oh, I said, no. just give me a second. Oh, Because he was gosh. climbing, like, down. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to. No, okay, okay, okay. Is this, like, an exposed brick kind of a wall? Or is this, no, like, a sheetrock like wall? No, it's, like, old plaster old plaster okay. walls okay okay but okay. i didn't want to like reach oh, up man. high Ugh. and risk missing and then sure. it might bounce onto the table no. but he's headed in a downward direction oh gosh so i'm like yes. i just look at the people next to me i go don't oh, react. you're so brave you're so it's brave fine. God. oh my gosh <laughs> and i waited until he got <laughs> like where he was at such a point that if he bounced back towards me it would be down you could and I kind was of like, ricochet. Him. I was like, yeah. oh dear. <gasps> you didn't. And then I just took my hand and slid it down oh. the wall and just oh. shook it off. God, you are such a baller. Oh my God. Gosh, that is so badass. Okay, because I would have been the one to like scream, squeal. I know you would have. Jump out of my chair. I know. And that would have been all for nothing. Melanie, you are such a badass. Like, you are like Mel Gibson in fucking Braveheart, okay? I mean, I don't think I need to go that far. It wasn't that big of an ordeal. No, that is incredible. It was incredible. 
You and I feel are like there were some people who dang. looked at me with. You're like Russell Crowe in Gladiator, okay? <laughs> some people you are at the table ass. that knew what was going on. There were only like, it was only like half of us at the table that saw what was happening. Sure. And that was my whole goal was to not make it like this a mayhem scene, an ordeal. kind of situation, you know? <laughs> of course. But um, I, I feel like it was a mix of like disgust and also uh, yeah. pure admiration. They were in disbelief that well, you, the skinny girl who got shoved in the corner, who can't eat that much, just took out that cockroach with your hand. Without like, making a big fuss. Like a caveman. All right, Miranda. So what is our motherhood topic for this episode? Okay. I am so excited. I wanted to talk about birth order personality theory. Oh, um, Yeah, this is such a good one. So birth order theory really came from Alfred Adler. And as you know, I am a huge fangirl for Alfred Adler. You certainly are. <laughs> he is my favorite psychologist. Um, and he's a good I guess one. He's, a, good he's one. a really, really good one. And he did so many amazing things. And even like researching a little bit for um, for this, um, I learned like so much more about him and like what an awesome person he was. So um, I want to first say um, I'm providing. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this information straight out of my my book about counseling theories from from my master's program. It's literally the theory and practice of counseling and psychotherapy, the tenth edition by Gerald Corey. So, um, very respected source in the field. <clears throat> yes, indeed, indeed. I believe I had that book, but perhaps the ninth edition pushes her sure. her glasses up her nose. Yes, indeed. This one came out in 2017, so I don't know if there's an eleventh yet, but. This one is, is still pretty good. <laughs> you know, Adler's dead and gone, so I don't know if anything's going to change with long him. Long gone, if I remember <laughs> right, but okay. Long, long gone, you know, almost almost 100 years now. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, <laughs> right? So he was born in 1870, and he died in 1937. Uh, he's from Vienna. So what really surprised me, I didn't know, I didn't know as much of this until I started doing this research, he did a lot with child psychology and he worked a lot with children and he actually trained like teachers and social workers and all kinds of people who worked with kids on like child rearing practices and like child psychology and stuff i don't think Um, i knew that either i know yeah isn't that kind of cool yeah for sure. I know I'm from more the adult side of, of theories and whatnot. And I think so much of that, like even when you think about the adult stuff, I kind of reflected on that. He goes, one of the big things that he looks at when working with adults is your childhood. He always wants to take it back and like, what were some early childhood experiences, early memories, early recollection, family constellation, that kind of thing. Um, Cause he definitely believed that it shaped you as an adult. So um, you'll also really appreciate this part. He was a super advocate for women's rights as well as children's rights. And he was actually way ahead of his time with this because he believed in equality of the sexes, which was like huge in the early 1900s that he would have be outspoken about that. You know, he was like generations ahead of yeah. his time, really. Isn't that kind of cool? This is why I love him. He's just the best. And he also was an advocate for community mental health resources and like wanting the community to support mental health resources and like provide for people with mental health struggles and things like that. So I agree um, with all of that. 
he had 32 child guidance clinics in Vienna when he died. He had established over 32 child guidance clinics. Um, And there's actually, even here in my town, there's a daycare that's like an Adlerian daycare. So he's huge with children and and who would have even thought I didn't even connect those two dots and I'm like a Adler super fan but I didn't even connect like oh wow he did a lot of work with kids you'll also be interested to know that he died of a heart attack um, in 1937 he was out for a walk and um, people said that he was like a workaholic and he was just always working and super super busy and just never took any time to rest and recoup and so he died of a heart failure and how well, old he was, was walking. he then? Whatever, whatever the math is, I guess 67, 1937 minus 1870. Is that right? Yeah. 67. Yeah. Well, I mean, for that time frame, not bad. Yeah. I think he also was a smoker, um, or at least he was modeling a cigarette, a lit cigarette in the photo of him. <laughs> In my book. This may be super <laughs> judgmental of me, but I feel like many people in Vienna smoked cigarettes in that time But period. many people in Vienna were not advocates for women's and children's rights, okay? That's, and this man that's true. Was, okay, so he, he was an set exception. Apart. He was set apart, for sure. So love that, love him. So many great things that he contributed to the field of psychology. So when we're thinking about birth order theories, I do want to give some disclaimers here uh, because these are, you know, it kind of honestly makes me think a little bit about like your zodiac sign or like your MBTI. And it's like, this is a guide. It's not the end all be all. It's not the only singular factor that you can look at when you're thinking about yourself or your children. Um, It's just something else that you can kind of take into consideration and kind of ponder and and you know hmm I never considered that I think that that is a uh, very good disclaimer to put in there it's kind of like I don't know because some people think that it's complete nonsense but that's the case with almost Mm -hmm. every part of psychology so Mm -hmm. um, like you said it's just an interesting guide or and something to look at it's like a framework, right? I personally think it's really interesting. And I know a lot of folks, from what I know of it, that it does apply. So, mm-hmm. yeah, when in, I was though, reading. Because it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely want to hear a little bit from, we'll, we'll share about our experiences yes. for sure once we get to the end, because <laughs> um, I think that'll be a fun conversation. But no, you're you're exactly right. There's so many things that are really just a framework for us when it comes to psychology and especially like children's psychology. One thing that I will point out is, and you got to think about Adler and, and his time and the place in which he was, there's not a lot of consideration here about non-traditional families. Oh, so no. you think about you know, what about step siblings? What if my, um, you know, parents got divorced and now I have all these new brothers and sisters and there's so many other factors here to consider, uh, gaps between age, right? Like, uh, and, and half siblings and things like that. There's a lot of different things to be taken into consideration. And a huge one is just culture. Like cultural implications are so huge when it comes to family dynamics, whether you're in a more individualized culture like the United States or more of a collectorist culture like um, what you see in in, um, Latinx individuals or um, people who are from like China, Japan, more um, Asian context as well. So again, 
huge things to take into consideration. Nothing here is cut and dry. We're not putting your birth order into a box and saying this is what you have to be. So without further ado, beginning with the oldest child, the oldest child. And I'm just going to read this part like straight from the, the book here. So the oldest child generally receives a good deal of attention, and during the time she is the only child, she is typically somewhat spoiled as the center of attention. She tends to be dependable and hardworking and strives to keep ahead. When a new brother or sister arrives on the scene, however, she finds herself ousted from her favored position. She is no longer unique or special, and she may readily believe that the newcomer or intruder will rob her of the love to which she is accustomed. Most often, she reasserts her position by becoming a model child, bossing younger children, and exhibiting a high achievement drive. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> and interesting, right? Interesting. I'm looking forward when we get to the part about where we talk about our own situations. But I yes, am that too, is right? Very interesting. So file that away. I want to tell you about the second child now. And this would be like the second of two. Um, or if um, there was like, you know, four or more kids. Because I do want to kind of draw a distinction between like if there's three kids versus four kids or, or more, right? Gotcha. So the second child of only two is in a different position. From the time she is born, she shares the attention with another child. The typical second child behaves as if she was in a race and is generally under full steam at all times. It is as though this second child were in training to surpass the older brother or sister. The competitive struggle between the two children influences the later courses of their lives. The younger child develops a knack for finding out the elder's weak spots and proceeds to win praise from both parents and teachers by achieving successes where the older sibling has failed. If one is talented in a given area, the other strives for recognition by developing other abilities. The second born is often opposite to the first born. So it, it kind of okay. makes me think like, especially in school, like that sense of like you're always being compared to your older siblings like in school um whether for better or for worse like if your uh, older sibling was really really good in school or really really bad in school it's like the teacher wants to find out like if they had your sibling in class or something right. and they know who they were and so it's like you always feel like you're in their shadow all right so this is the middle child so this would be like the middle of three the middle child often feels squeezed out. This child may be convinced of the unfairness of life and feel cheated. This person may assume a poor me attitude and can become a problem child. However, especially in families characterized by conflict, the middle child may become the switchboard and the peacemaker, the person who holds things together. If there are four children in a family, the second child will often feel like a middle child and the third will be more easygoing, more social, and may align with the firstborn. Adler man, he had <laughs> he had this he had this cinched in in some places. the The part that stands out to me there is like being the switchboard and the peacemaker, and kind of being like yeah. the one in the middle who's always having to like go between the two sure. siblings and kind of almost be like a referee or something in some way. The youngest child is always the baby of the family and tends to be the most pampered one. Mm -hmm. Because of being pampered or spoiled, he may develop helplessness into an art form and become an expert at putting others in his service. Youngest children tend to go their own way, 
often developing in ways no others in the family have attempted and may outshine everyone. Oh. <laughs> so kind of like it kind of comes full circle because it's like, oh, you're this spoiled little brat. But then at the end, it's like, oh, maybe you're actually going to outshine and be like this big individual person and do all of these incredible things, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Okay. He seems to have left fairly broad um outcomes in in all of these like it could go this way or it could go this way yeah (laughs) which is a good thing because everybody's going to be different no matter what everybody's going to be different I think so much of it has to do with like that inner conflict or struggle or tension maybe between your nearest siblings and like how does that inner struggle tension relationship affect your behavior patterns and and kind of how you navigate the world and see the world all right last but not least the only child. Oh boy. The only child has a problem of her own. Although she shares some of the characteristics of the oldest child, for example, a high achievement drive, she may not learn to share or cooperate with other children. She will learn to deal with adults well as they make up her original familial world. Often, the only child is pampered by her parents and may become dependently tied to one or both of them. She may want to have center stage all of the time, and if her position is challenged, she will feel it is unfair. Okay. So so those are our little blurbs about the birth order types. I want to dig in and kind of hear your reaction as an only child, Melanie. Well, you might have to reference back because I'm not sure if I'm going to keep that all straight. But um, I will <laughs> definitely say as as an only child, I definitely had a very different dynamic with my parents than most other kids that I knew. I guess that makes sense. I related well to adults. Kids were always kind of mm-hmm. hard for me. I can remember hmm. sort of being a little overwhelmed. I may be a bit of an exception though when it comes to only children because I wasn't the only child so many of cousins. my parents, but yeah. I had so many cousins. And you were really really close with them. Yeah. I mean, I was like the fourth child in, you know, two separate families or like the mm-hmm. extra one, which that led to some interesting dynamics too, which I'm sure we could do our research and figure out how Adler would have felt about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because I was like the bonus kid that only came over for good times. I was like the the good good time. I love it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Exactly. If it gets gets too sticky, I'm going home. (laughs) Conflict avoidant. I want to hear more about like relating to adults because like how do you think that showed up for you as a kid and like struggling to relate to children, but like having an easier time relating to adults what was that like for you well I just feel like I was always very nerdy and like needed to know the answer to everything and for whatever Mm -hmm. reason it was like innate in me that like adults owed me the explanation Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes any sense like I can remember being over at um you know my cousin's houses and their parents being like you kids all go downstairs, you know? Mm -hmm. But it was like, my parents didn't have the option to do that because it was just me. Like, they're not going to send me Mm. away by myself. So, yeah, I don't know. So you had to kind of learn to like, 
I guess, be at peace or, like, be comfortable, like, hanging out with your parents all the time so that you wouldn't be, like, alone. Didn't you say, like, you and your dad used to watch, like, some weird show together all the time? Oh, oh, dozens of weird shows. (laughs) I mean, I was an only child that was raised in a house with one television. So (laughs) if I wasn't watching what my dad was watching, I wasn't watching TV. You weren't watching TV TV at all. I always went through phases with reading or, like, doing different crafts. I sewed a lot as a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was always... There was no, like, oh, send her with the other kids to do what the kids are doing because there were no other kids. So... Gotcha. I think, in a way, that made me feel almost more like an equal, you know, because... Yeah. I'm like, well, why do I have to do that? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, probably kind right. of backfired on my dad in a few ways too because <laughs> my mom would be like okay well we're gonna just start doing chores like she was ahead of her time there was no chore chart but there were mm-hmm. certain chores that mm-hmm. everybody had to do well I was mm-hmm. the only kid so dad got put on the rotation too oh no <laughs> I love that because you know oh, that's she, awesome and so then that even in itself makes me feel equivalent well, equivalent an, yeah an like you're his equal yeah it's like it's dad's night to do the dishes like gotcha wow oh my goodness that so, is crazy I don't know but but you got to tell me because you are the oldest of mm-hmm. three Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. he nails you on yeah. the description yeah. of the oldest. I I think that he did. I think that he did. I think I was like all of the best qualities of the oldest child and equally all of the worst qualities <laughs> of the oldest child. And there's so much that goes into that. But the thing I think that makes it unique for me is because there's such an age gap between me and my sisters. Right. So it's five years between one and then eight years between the next. So not only was I the oldest and felt like I knew best and I knew better and wanted to boss them around, but I also like was semi like a junior mom for especially my baby sister. Right. Um, And especially once I got into high school and was like old enough to drive and stuff. And, you know, I, I remember that um, kind of like the chore chart, but, but not exactly. We all had to do chores. Of course, mine were much more involved and my chores and my chores usually involved like taking care of my baby sisters but um, most of the time it was just, you know, watch your sisters, keep an eye on your sisters, be a good example for your sisters. They look up to you, you know, and and part of me now realizes like the older I get, that really gave me a lot of um, anxiety that showed up, I think, latently in adulthood because it was like I had so much responsibility and I was so depended on. And whether that was actual or perceived, um, I took it very seriously that I was like right. taking care of my sister and looking after them and all of this. And I'm sure the fact that I'm female and I'm more of a nurturer kind of personality anyway played into that even more. Because I'm sure like if I was a boy, I would have been like, huh, huh, they're on their own. I don't know. Right. But, um, well, but I maybe think it's not. probably one of those things and there's many different things in our lives that uh, you were young enough that when you were in it, you didn't really understand the ramifications of Mm-mm. the responsibilities that you had. And once you get old enough that you understand, it's kind of like, wow, that was really heavy. Like I was 16 and I was, you know. I dealt with some shit, right? (laughs) Like I really had a lot that I had to do. Like 
almost yeah. like a delayed response that you're mm-hmm. now like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed for me when I was 16. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I did it. I, I really don't sometimes because, you know, both my parents worked full time. They both owned their own businesses. They were entrepreneurs. And so they would work um, a lot of hours and, you know, I would get my sisters off the bus and we would come home and I would help them with their homework. I would get them their snacks. I would help them take a bath at night, lay out their clothes. I'd help them get ready in the morning and get them their breakfast. And when I was old enough to drive, I even drove them both to school. You know, yeah, I took that my, is a lot. It was a whole lot. I took them to school. I picked them up from school. I carried them to if they had practice, you know, or, or some kind of extracurricular activity. And don't get me wrong. I was definitely like rewarded for it. Like my right. parents gave me money. They gave me a really good allowance. They paid for all my gas in my car because I was helping out with these things around the house. So it's not like I wasn't... Um, you know, it's, it's not like I was like, a, I guess, taken advantage of or anything like that. But it was definitely like some parentification and some adultification going right. on. But okay, my parents well, also let, needed me, you know? Yeah, well, they did need you if they're, I mean, I can't imagine having two people that are running their own businesses. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a and lot. so they, they relied on me, they depended on me. And I think that gave me, you know, kind of a complex later, but. Well, it um, also in a way kind of equiv- made you feel probably a little more equivalent to an adult like at an Mm -hmm. earlier age well it did but you know to hear you kind of talk about your experience with adults and like seeing them as your equal I that's where I struggled and was like kind of different because for me I was the oldest of like my cousin my sisters as well as my cousins and so I was really bossy to younger kids like I was bossy I would straight (laughs) up tell them what to do what to do you can still be kind of bossy I can still be kind of bossy (laughs) I yeah I'm sorry (laughs) but but that's that was the problem in relating to adults and even kids my own age was I had that bossiness thread that all makes sense and so I think I, I had to struggle with adults because it was like they were trying to tell me what to do. And I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you what to You're do. You're like, no, I'm in charge around here. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I All definitely You see didn't, these other people? They listen to me. I definitely didn't have that. I had no one listening. So I, I had to like bring myself up to be part of, you know, the conversation mm-hmm. because there was no one I was in charge of. It was, mm-hmm. it was just me. <laughs> so, so you had to like elevate yourself and I think like your interest and everything and like the fact that you're such a you're such a scientific mind and you like to learn and research and and know all of these things and you like to have those intelligent conversations so you were able to elevate yourself and have conversations with adults at that level which is like so cool yeah well and I was like like, I was like eight years old and you know Miranda (laughs) you and I each have one son so we're raising only children yeah and my child is very much like I was. Um, yeah. And I worry about that sometimes, to be honest with you, because he's very much like I was, but he doesn't have any cousins. I'm glad you brought up the fact that, like, we both just have one child. And, yeah. like, we're we're one and done moms. And so I um, take a lot of this into consideration, too, with, with Fisher. And he's still, he's still young, you know, to kind of see what his personality is going to be like. But one thing that I've really noticed about him is he is like a champ at playing by himself. Like, solitary play is his jam he um, isn't that amazing like they can kind of just keep themselves entertained and keep themselves occupied and like for me if I didn't have my sisters and I was by myself I was bored because I didn't have anybody to boss around right (laughs) so 
Um, it's it's just funny that Jonah and Fisher both can, you know, it's like, okay, well, why don't you go to your room and play? And it's like, we won't see them for hours because they'll just be in there playing, like just content, as happy as can be. And Fisher's like a very extroverted kid too. Like he loves to be around people and he's very social. But um, that kid, like, man, he can go upstairs and just literally play Legos for three hours and just be in, in the zone. I mean, I think in that regard, you and I are very lucky parents because <laughs> knock on some wood I, yeah right <laughs> knock on something because I know some people with only children that definitely do not meet those criteria <laughs> really like the the kids want to be around them all the time well it sounds yeah. like that's how you were as a kid I mean I did stuff on my you own, wanted to hang I out just... with your parents Oh, I, I would I would go hang out in my room. But yeah, you're right. I probably was under. I always wanted to do something like, okay, well, you know. I mean, I was a kid. I was the only <laughs> child. I was a girl. So I knew how to sew and create my own clothes and stuffed animals. And then I also mm. knew how to change the oil. Like, but I think that a lot of that is it. because I'm and, always like, and smack the cockroaches on the wall. I'm like, but why, why, why? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I feel for my mom <sighs> looking back on it now. Oh my gosh. So I want you to think about like the biggest pro and biggest con for you of being an only child. And while you're thinking, I'll I'll kind of share mine. So my biggest pro of being the oldest is I definitely learned responsibility. I when I tell you I was trained as a soccer mom at age 17, <laughs> I had it down pat. Like I um was so good at like juggling multiple things. I was really good at prioritizing, keeping things organized. Um and I think I also learned a lot of empathy and like how to nurture people and look after people and take care of people. So that I think really helped me as an adult for sure. But I think my con kind of goes back to the bossy thing because I had a lot of struggles with friends and stuff because I was so used to being in charge and so used to people just, you know, or my sisters just following my orders that it was hard for me to always give other people a voice or a chance or say so in things. Um, and, And I think that still kind of can be the case as an adult it's leadership okay it's leadership and and just like anxiety too right because I I feel like I did have a lot of pressure on me and it latently didn't show up until um, probably about my mid-20s I think is when it began to kind of emerge in my life and I begin to kind of process some of that anxiety um, and and pressure that I had on me in my late teens so very interesting we can definitely talk about that some some more okay I want to hear your biggest pro and con it looks like you're ready to share okay so um and and I probably as as I think back I will think of something else later but um there's really a couple I think that were pros for me um being an only child as I was growing up I think one of the main things was there really wasn't ever a lot of conflict in my Mm. upbringing like I know everybody I know that has siblings, they're fighting and arguing constantly. Oh, like, yes. Oh, there yes. Was, <laughs> there was no uh, argument with, uh-huh. because it was like, my parents outnumbered me, so yeah. I had to, like, get on board. Like, I learned that pretty early. Like, Buck I mean, up buttercup. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I could, like, state my point, but at the end of the day, there's two of them, and there's one of me, and they're in charge. Mm. So, but I didn't have that constant conflict and arguing. And mm. I know that you know 
from knowing me, I had I, I did get that out in other ways with cousins that, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's still conflict sometimes <laughs> amongst yeah. me oh, and yeah. my cousins. But that wasn't in my home, I guess, sure. so to say. So I feel like that's probably like a that's probably a positive thing that I wasn't constantly in a state of arguing. I think that that kind of actually ties into the con (laughs) in a way where, um, you know, it's always been, I've, I've always struggled to make friends because Mm. maybe because I don't have the conflict like resolution skills that I would if I had Mm. grown up in a house with kids, um, or maybe partially because like I'm an independent person and it doesn't feel always incredibly necessary for me to have friends or peers mm-hmm. like it hasn't mm-hmm. throughout my life. That sounds like such an only child thing to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not necessary to have these people. But no, right, I, I but all of that mean. adds up to mean. like, it's not my strong suit. <laughs> you can entertain yourself. Like you can kind of take it or leave it. Like if, if you yeah. want to, if you want to do something with somebody, you can. And if you say, eh, I don't really want to do that with somebody, you can. <laughs> There is this hilarious guy. Um, he has a YouTube channel and a TikTok and an Instagram and all of that. But he does birth order, and that's his his thing. So um, his name is TJ Therian, and I encourage everybody to check him out. You can find him um, at TJ underscore Therian, which is T-H-E-R-R-I-E-N. Um, and he does these hilarious videos where he acts out the old sibling, middle sibling, youngest sibling, and um, just hilarious, in- incredible stuff. And it's like the simple things like the the oldest, middle, and youngest walking to school or making a sandwich or doing something. And it was it was just so funny. Oh, I so, just pulled this up. I've actually seen one or two of his videos just like yeah. in passing. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely going to check those out. That's They're funny. so funny. And you need to show them to Jer, too, and see what, what he thinks. Okay, well, let me wrap up by I wanted to provide kind of a summary here or like a takeaway for moms who are listening. And I, I want to do that every time for like all of our topics about motherhood is like give moms something they can kind of say, hey, this is what I can take away from, from this conversation about birth orders. I, I think it's important for moms to acknowledge the pros and cons of having an only child versus multiples. And I think that's um, not only just for your own children, but kind of like even we're talking about our husbands and our, our friendships and all these things. And I think the most important thing, truthfully, at the end of the day, is just to be open to talk to kids about their experience. Have that conversation with with your child um, and make sure that they feel loved for, for who they are. And whether they're the oldest, whether they're the middle, whether they're the youngest or the fourth or the fifth or, or even your half, um, you know, your your step sibling or whatever, right. um, just let them know that they're loved regardless of where they fall into birth order. And, and sometimes that means we have to do a little extra work as moms to love them in the way they need to be loved. So, and again, just these are theories, they're frameworks. It's not the only factor when making decisions for your children. So, so Melanie, what medical mystery do you have for us today? Today, I've got something for us straight from the headlines. Um, hot off the presses, hot off the presses. It's hot off the presses. This w- this came out um, on all the major Read all media. about it. Extra, extra. <laughs> <laughs> 
It came out, um, I saw it on pretty much all of the major media sites um, within the, like, about a month um, from the time we're recording this. Um, okay. But the headline read, Twins Born from Embryos Frozen 30 Years Ago. Hold on. There were... What? Yeah, exactly. Um, Hold on. So <laughs> to summarize, and of course, we will put the links to the articles that I'm I'm getting this information from in the show notes. But um, to summarize it, essentially, there was a couple in Oregon who okay. had twin babies, and those okay. babies derived from embryos that were f- frozen in 1992. So they were they the couple's embryos? I'm confused. <laughs> like that is exactly what happened to me. I was like, "Hold on, <laughs> where you did know, these embryos come from?" Ne- just I mean, in general, humans don't have thirty years that they're typically fertile, or that that's even even possible. I guess that's true. Um, so <laughs> no, true. they were not their embryos. Okay, so somebody else's embryos from 1999. 1992. Oh, 1992. Correct. Oh, wow. So This um, is like pre sync, pre Backstreet Boys. Like, I, I... I don't even know if the Spice Girls were out yet. I don't think so. I mean, this is like prime, like grunge, Nirvana, like yeah, this is like Pearl Jam season. Okay, okay, I'm with you. Right, 1992. Wow. Okay, so um, the previously the the previous record holder for babies born from the oldest embryos were ones that were frozen for 27 years. Oh, and wow. those were born, 27. that baby was born in 2020. Okay. So these, this couple delivered twins that were, f- the embryos were frozen in 1992, which is just absolutely wild. So this um, is just like in vitro fertilization, the, the embryos are taken out and put into the mom. Oh yes. So I'm glad I'm I'm glad that you asked. So here's what cuz Mel's brain has to get to the bottom of this. Why <laughs> why are there embryos that have been frozen for 30 years? That I I don't understand. Well, but just just so I remember correctly from like all of my biomed classes, an embryo is literally just that's just a fertilized egg, right? It is like, a fertilized egg and I like, I I'll be honest, I didn't look up the exact guideline of when it's considered an embryo, but mm-hmm. I know that the cells have divided several times enough for it okay. to be considered a viable embryo. It's like it's like a little blastocyst kind of. It's kinda it's thing, in the I beginning think. stages for sure. Okay, but it's a um, fertilized egg. It's not like a. I guess I'm saying it's not like a fetus yet. It's it's. Oh still no, just definitely like a not. Cluster it's, it's, of cells. It's very early on in the process. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. So basically, what happened when I started digging into this is things got real interesting. So what happens, a lot of couples that have fertility issues, they will do IVF. And a very Mm -hmm. common way for that to occur is they will fertilize a number of eggs. So you as the couple that's undergoing IVF have a multitude of embryos. And then they choose what number they're going to implant you know, on each cycle of IVF that they sure. try. And and typically, like, usually with that, it's going to be, like, 
egg cells from the mom, sperm cells from the dad. Correct. And, and if somebody has cells that like aren't viable, they'll get like a donor or something. Exactly. Okay. So these um, these particular embryos, um, the twins that were born, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they were created from an anonymous married couple that was using IVF, obviously in okay. the early 90s. At that time, the man was in his 50s. And they relied on a 30-year-old egg donor. But they were married. They were a married couple. She must not have been able to... She didn't have her own eggs or something was wrong with her eggs. So So they used his sperm sperm and an egg donor's eggs. Egg. Okay. Now, we don't know who those people are. And that was back in 1992. In 1992, correct. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I just went on a time machine. Okay. It feels like you need a DeLorean if you're be- yeah. if I'm being honest, because right. it's very confusing. So <laughs> essentially what we think happened, and I didn't find anywhere that you could spell this, that you could get the actual information on this. So this mm-hmm. couple in 1992, 50-year-old man and his wife... Mm-hmm. They must have used the embryos that they had and had the children that they desired to have. Well, I guess many people at that point in the process choose to have the remaining embryos destroyed or just let them expire on their own. Mm-hmm. But there is a whole group of people that donate those embryos. Like the unused ones. The unused ones. And they are donated most often to this place in Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. What do you Knoxville, know? Tennessee. Good Imagine old Rocky that. Top. Good old Rocky Top. Go Vols. Well, okay, well. So, so let me see here. Let me see here. Okay. So this couple back in 1992, they're trying to have a baby. They have these embryos. It's the dad's sperm. It's an egg donor's eggs. And they get multiple eggs, multiple sperm. They fertilize all these cells. Um, they have all these embryos. And then it's like, okay, well, we're going to implant, say, we have we have 10 embryos that we think are pretty viable. We're going to implant five of them or six of them. And then right. those other four that don't get implanted, those are the ones you're talking about that like people will either opt to destroy or allow to expire, or they'll donate them to this place in Knoxville. Correct. From what I've found, okay. it is really like the main place that people do this embryo donation. Embryo and it's donation. called the National okay. Embryo Donation Center. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. donate your embryos. Mm-hmm. And so they just sit there. And then but, I mean, these surely they're came, like sitting in a refrigerator or something. Uh, well, they're sitting, they're stored at uh, negative 323 degrees Fahrenheit. Dang. That's it, like that's like the COVID vaccine had to be temperature. They're, they're stored in liquid liquid nitrogen is oh, how they wow. store them. So wow. they're in a deep freeze. Man, since 1992. Oh my goodness. Okay. So. So then this Oregon couple comes uh-huh. along. Yeah. And in, fast forward, fast forward. Fast in forward, and here we are in probably they, they 20, 2022. Well, the, the twins were born the very end of October of 2022. So okay. I would say, you know, very early 2022, mm-hmm. they decided that they were going to, and this is how they put it, adopt embryos. Adopt embryos. Okay, from from the the National Embryo Donation Clinic. National Embryo Donation Center. Center. Okay. Correct. Wow. So then they don't they adopt the embryos. 
Now that's and, interesting that you say adopt. I noticed you're emphasizing that word. So, well, because it's like, you know, you, if you're going to adopt a child, there's like a huge adoption process. Correct. This is more like, you know, are they, are they purchasing these embryos? Do they have to apply for them? Like you would like to adopt a child. Is there, what, what kind of goes into the adoption process, I guess. Right. Well, and oh, that's where Melanie's this got something to tell me. <laughs> this whole topic, I can, which I thought wow. was fascinating, and I wanted to get to the bottom of how this would happen, mm-hmm. that's where it took a turn to um, an area that could be seen as very controversial. That's what it sounds like is happening here. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. read a headline, and this is actually, or not a headline, but part of an article. And again, this will be in the show notes, but this is from mm-hmm. actually from a BBC News article. Honestly, okay. I couldn't find a whole lot of American coverage that really broke it down as to what exactly was going on. But it said, couples who struggle to conceive a child are sometimes given the option of using a donated embryo. Okay. In the U.S., this is commonly referred to as embryo adoption, particularly at Christian-based clinics, where okay. it is regarded as saving a life and where the future parents may have to be married and heterosexual to be eligible for treatment. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. And so obviously there's a lot more to this, and I'm not going to get into a, a political argument about what's going on exactly. Right. And that's and, and just for our listeners to be aware, that's not the point of our show. You know, <laughs> no. We're not here. We more so my point that. is, yeah. wow. But this is a lot of information. Okay, so so that's that is very interesting. So, um, people who receive or or want to receive a, a donated embryo in this case, it's referred to as adopting the embryo at and, these at these Christian clinics. Which okay, the National sure. Embryo Donation Center Center uh-huh. is actually a faith based sure. entity. Yeah. So it sounds like that's a great alternative, like for people who are pro-life, but maybe they're having fertility issues and they want to maybe, you know, they want to have a baby, but they want to do it in a way that doesn't violate their beliefs and values. Is that kind of where this is going? Like... It's it's like saving saving a life is what you said like right essentially what happens like in a, the eyes of the National Embryo Donation Center they mm-hmm. see those embryos those little teeny tiny baby embryos where the cell has mm-hmm. only divided a, a small number of times a couple of times sure. they see those as human life as a child. that's where they're gotcha. getting the term adoption ad- gotcha. embryo adoption sure. Sure. So I found that to be very interesting. Um, and like I said, it can get very controversial because yeah. um, that that's an opinion. It's an yeah, opinion well, that that is... Of a faith-based organization, right. for sure. Well, and to say that this teeny tiny microscopic almost, I think maybe is even a microscopic embryo, is a life... Sure. A lot of people don't agree with that. And yeah, anyway, a lot of people don't. I thought it was very fascinating. <laughs> so it turns out that the the record at this point in time is 30 years. These embryos wow. were frozen in 1992, and they are two living, breathing human babies. Wow, wow, wow. 
And, 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 and this is a question that I wanted to ask you, and this is purely for the listeners, this is purely just how my brain works. Are those babies or are they 30 year olds? Okay. Okay. I'm glad you asked that question though, because that literally, that same question is going through my head because I'm like, okay, on the one hand, if we say that these are living, breathing children, you know, at, in 1992 and we're adopting them, are they 30 year olds at that point? Like that's very, that's a, that's a real mind bender right there. And so yeah. I did all of this research, wow. and that is literally the question that I end up with. <laughs> is yeah. well, How? hold on. Ugh. If those are quote unquote human lives, right, right, they're and they're thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Why do they look like brand new babies? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I did dig around to see if I could find, like, an, you know, I'm not trying to put my beliefs on anyone, but I want to know how they view it, you know? Yeah. They're adopting these embryos that were created in Mm -hmm. 1992. 1992. You know, can those babies get their driver's licenses? (laughs) Right. Can they drink, okay? If those babies want a beer... Are they going to get carded? <laughs> and that, oh that's, I mean, I'm going to leave it at that. But regardless, that's ama- it's amazing. It's fascinating it's like, that that science exists. Right. Like, that's, it's, that's incredible. And it makes me wonder, like, I would be so curious to find out, like, how many embryos are estimated to be out there, like, viable, like, ready and waiting to be implanted right now today in the world. Like, what is that number? Because that's uh, Well, that's crazy. a very good question. And I'll be honest, I didn't go down that rabbit mm. hole. Um, mm. But from what I'm I wonder, reading, are, there, are there other centers like this? Like the national, because this is just one place in Knoxville. Are there other places like this? This is one like place this? in Knoxville. But from what I found, it's in almost all of the research. It is the main place that comes up. Um, okay. So it's national. It's it's in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. And what, like I said, we'll link the articles in the show notes. But um, mm-hmm. according to some of the stuff from the BBC, this is apparently a very American thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to to like adopt embryos. Yeah, adopting embryos. I I, I could not find that that exists anywhere else yeah. in the in the world. Well, did you find anything about like why this couple wanted these embryos that were thirty years old? Like, was there a, a thought process for for why they you know why didn't they opt for the ones that were from two thousand five, for example? Um, were they going for like were those the oldest ones that they had? And they're like, oh well, we don't want them to be left behind. Or what was kind of their motivation for that? Did they want to like break the record? Like we I don't. Have the I didn't find anything that was like that. Um, it says hmm. there's a quote in here from a doctor who actually works at NEDC. And it says, the decision to adopt these embryos should assure patients who wonder if anyone would be willing to adopt the embryos that they created 5, 10, 20 years ago. That answer Mm. is a resounding yes. Mm, It does also say that the NEDC has helped birth more than 1,200 infants from donated embryos. That is substantial, 1,200. 
So they've got to have thousands of these things, like, in their liquid nitrogen deep freezers. I would say. That's incredible. I mean, that is a whole rabbit hole that I could definitely see myself going down. But I was oh, trying yeah. I was trying to limit the scope and just point <laughs> out that this is absolutely amazing that yeah. you can freeze embryos and then 30 years old 30 years later turn them into humans. Yeah. Well, I know that like sperm donation places, egg donation places, like they'll take sperm and eggs and freeze them. But I wasn't aware that like you could also freeze an embryo um, and and use it. That's incredible. And the girls like the you said they were girls, right? Twin girls. And they were born and they're healthy and they're fine. And everything's everything's groovy. In a statement, the NEDC said it hoped that the news would encourage others to experience the blessings of embryo adoption for themselves. Mm. It is the first child, the, the couple, who have four other children between the ages of one and eight have had mm-hmm. via IVF or donors. So they had all their own other children. Here's mm. a really weird quote from the father. Mm-hmm. It says... I was five years old when God gave life to Lydia and Timothy, and he's been preserving that life ever since. Wow. So those are the babies. It's a boy and a girl, Lydia and Timothy. Oh, my goodness. And then he goes on to say. What a mindbender. He was five. In a sense, they're our oldest children, even though (laughs) they're our smallest children. Wowzers. What a mind bender, Melanie. I know. Oh my goodness. Like this is one to really think about. <laughs> I know, but like be careful because I really started thinking about it and it gets really twisty. It's very yeah. confusing. Yeah, yeah. Like these are That's their crazy. oldest children, but yep. they're their smallest. But they're the youngest. They were just born. Wow. Yeah, and I'm going to leave you all on that note of, of <laughs> you know, wow, what a oh. what a thing. Um, and I definitely yeah. feel like there's a what lot a more thing. research that could be done. What a thing. That is just, I mean, that's like a medical, just the fact that people are able to do that, the the science there blows my mind. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I so I'm going to I'm going to bring it full circle here because you said that this this couple had other children too, right? They do. So, they have four other children. Four other children. So this is they'll have this is number 5 and 6. So Correct. I wonder how these will fit into the birth order theory. Oh, <laughs> <whoa>. personality. <laughs> the Adler <laughs> did not think about that. I don't think Adler had a plan for this one. I, I really don't. don't. Well, do you have a call to action for us today or anyone you want to give a shout out to based on your medical mystery? Well, um, I think here on the podcast, we are going to try to highlight either a research organization or a charity, um, you know, with each episode. I think we'll probably stay away from, you know, putting any DC on that list. And I was thinking since we started with the birth order, um, that today we would highlight the uh, big brother, big sister. If 
kids, uh, maybe maybe moms out there, your children want to get involved. Maybe you want to get involved. Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America is a youth mentoring nonprofit organization. It's actually the nation's largest donor and volunteer supported mentoring network. Big Brothers and Big Sisters makes meaningful monitored matches between adult volunteers who are bigs and children who are littles ages five through young adulthood in communities across the country. They develop positive relationships that have a direct and lasting effect on the lives of young people. And to get involved or to learn more, you can visit bbbs.org. That's Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at Mother Mayhem Podcast at gmail.com.